Hello and welcome to So You Want to Be an Engineer, the St Paul School Engineering Society podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome to the show Dave Holly. Dave is a systems engineer and works with Pyrotechnics. Thanks so much for coming to talk to us today, Dave. No problem. It'd be interesting to know what you guys want to know about what I've been up to for the past 40 years. So our interviewer today is Ricky, and I know that Ricky has been busy preparing lots of questions for Dave, so I'm going to hand over to him. When we asked you what you initially did, you started by saying you weren't an engineer, not precisely anyway. Can you tell us a bit about your background and what subjects you studied at university? Yeah, sure. I took maths, physics and chemistry at A-level. Absolutely dead interested in chemistry, good at it. It was fair to say I scraped maths and I failed physics miserably. So chemistry was my only choice for a university subject. And even then, when you go to university, you got to play catch up a bit. So, yeah, I guess my rugby playing and um, enjoying music and doing all sorts of other social things, I could have studied a bit harder, let myself down a bit, and then I had to catch up at university. Third year at university, I took engineering management. That's a pain in the neck, but it really does help you later on. It's one of those subjects that doesn't look very interesting for a start, but taught by the right people, it's good because there's plenty of real-life cases in there. How a mining company got in trouble for buying the wrong diesel loader was one. Um, They had bought these machines and they kept breaking down, so that was was part of the project work. Environmental chemistry, that might surprise you, but um, even back in 1979, people were getting sweaty about the environment. Los Angeles smog, great big V8s trundling around, coughing out loads and loads of pollution, um, inversion layers and all that sort of stuff. And I did advanced inorganic chemistry, a um, guy called John Salthouse. Now, if you look John up on the internet, he's, he's passed on now, but he was famous for his Son en Lumiere lectures where he would frighten everybody to death with explosions and smoke and fire in, in the uh, lecture theatre safest place to sit was in the middle of the lecture theatre because the back got smoke as it went up went over the back of your head and the front you got fragged so the best place was in the middle and I kind of looked at John and his, his colleague Dr Dave Machin and I thought I'm sold on this this is me so goodbye career at the water authority in the environmental chemistry and hello pyrotechnics so that was basically it. So it's, it's clear that you absolutely love the, the chemistry and the pyrotechnic aspect of it. And so you went on to work in that. Where did you do that? I started off at a place called Royal Ordnance Factory at Chorley, and the ROF at Chorley, and built in 1939, helpers in the war effort. And it was a big upsurge in military establishments at that time. It's now a housing estate. The, the business has shrunk dramatically to, from what it was. Some would say, good thing, and I think I'd, I'd be one of those as well. But you, you sort of started realising that there's more to making something go pop, bang, whiz um, than just the chemistry. There's the engineering. Um, part of my job was there were these really clever boys in Kent working at the research establishment. There was these other clever people at Manchester and Chorley who knew how to make things. And I was the go-between between the inventors and the guys who wanted to turn out lots of product. And that's a real challenge because how the inventor wanted it is often not how the guy who wants to make it wants it. And it's seeing that middle ground. And that's where the engineering bit comes in. 
because if you can't manage the heat flow, if you can't manage the pressure, and you imagine a rocket motor, if the casing is not up to snuff when you put your new propellant in there, I'm sure you've seen pictures of uh, V2s going off bang on the launch pad. There's a case where the engineering wasn't up to the chemistry. So it's it, it's quite an interesting challenge, and that's where the systems engineering interest came in later on. How do I know that the chemistry I'm putting into an engineering situation is going to work? From what it sounds like, it sounds like you were, would you say, a manufacturing engineer at that on taking what the innovators came up with and taking it to the the, manuf- the manufacturers. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, what does exactly does a systems engineer do? That's a very good question. I like to think of it as not systems engineering, but systems thinking. We just had the anniversary of the moon landing. Yeah. Take the, the lunar module. How many lunar modules had landed on the moon before that one did? None. <laughs> so you've got to start from a real blank drawing board. And if you don't understand how all the bits and pieces interact, before you put it into that system, you're going to have three blokes landing on the moon and not being able to come home again. Systems engineering to me is the ability to know how your bit of it's going, but also how it affects all the other bits in the system. So you're back to my pyrotechnics again. I can't have a super powerful thrusting rocket motor without the nozzle technology, without the materials that won't melt as as you try and put a lot of hot gas through a nozzle under pressure, without a pressure vessel that will withstand the pressure of the casing, without the aerodynamics that will drive it, and you can't drive it without the guidance that will steer it. If If you think about your car when you're sitting in it, think of all the bits and pieces that are going on around you. If one little bit goes wrong, the whole lot, falls into a a pile of rubbish i had a wonderful car rover 75 i don't know whether you've ever heard of them old man's car i know yeah old man's car they decided not to drive the speedo from a speedo cable because normally you have a cable from the gearbox into the back of a meter that rotates you've got a magnet and the needle goes backwards and forwards tells you how fast you're going they decided they were going to count the holes on the um, abs detector so when the abs detector saw a dots going past it you were running when it didn't it released the brakes you obviously had a lock up ah so what we'll do we'll save a lot of running cables everywhere and we'll run the detector off these abs detector great until the detector gets mud on it now that doesn't just stop your speedo all of a sudden the wipers don't work because the car thinks it's doing no miles an hour and it's been programmed to turn the wipers off when it's at the traffic lights when you stop All of a sudden, the onboard computer thinks you're actually going nowhere, but still using petrol. So what the hell's going on? Um, The radio that normally gets louder as you go faster goes quieter. And all sorts of weird system effects, a lot of undesirable emergent behavior, we call it in the trade, came out of that one little idea to not use a speedo cable, but to use this device that detects how fast the wheel's going around by looking at the ABS holes. Systems engineer sits down, thinks about all that stuff before you go into production. So basically pre-working it, using your brain to make sure that sort of stuff doesn't happen, allegedly. So it seems like a systems engineer is absolutely key in these situations. So after you finish working on that, 
you went on to work at IXP Education and Training Working Group, right? What did you do there? I got conned. Um, if you've ever walked into a meeting and somebody gives you a spontaneous outbreak of applause, yeah, you know this doesn't normally happen. You know, nobody gives me a spontaneous applause for anything. Um, you walk into a room, yeah, Dave, we'd like you to be chairman of the Education and Training Working Group. And well, no, it wasn't. We'd like you to be. It is Dave. You are the chairman of the education. And I was five minutes late, and everybody voted for me. Basically, that was the round of applause. Was all about what we started was um, a degree apprenticeship. Now, degree apprenticeships are important things for me because a degree, you sit in a lecture theatre, you do the study, you obtain the knowledge. With the apprenticeship, what we're actually relying on is the employer to do on-the-job training so that you learn the skills as a student and the behaviours required um, to actually turn the theory into some useful practice, going back to systems engineering again, designing things properly, keeping yourself safe. In my case, I've got a degree in chemistry that I got in 1979 I didn't get my master's in systems engineering until 2004. So you can teach an old dog new tricks. That's very important. But apart from 10 fingers, yep, they're still there. I've got no formal qualification that says I can handle explosives. I'm a competent person to handle explosives. So what the industry was looking for was that qualification that not only says the guy's been to university, he's studied all the theory, but they've done the physical practice in the workplace and they're the sort of person who behaves in the right way, has the right attitude to work, has the right attitude to safety, to come out with that degree qualification. So what the group did, working as part of a trailblazer group with um, a, a team called the Sector Skills Strategy Group, the Triple SG, who had sat down and had a dinner somewhere in a hotel and thought, all our people are getting old. Nobody young nobody young is taking this up. We must close the um, idea gap, close the knowledge gaps. So we put in place a series of apprenticeships. Uh, there's the level four for technicians, um, level six degree level, and going on to level seven has just been released, the standard for um, MSc level specialists hoping that when people um, go into the industry, they'll take this qualification up, and that'll be evidence for competence of working with explosives in the future, possibly licensing, and generally making the business a safer place. It sounds like that, that that's very important for you. So from all your jobs, which one did you find was your favourite or the most rewarding? Favourite job? Oh, God, I, I really have been lucky. I've... I, if a man, you know, they said if I fell in the sewer, I'd come out smelling of roses. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, we had to put a decoy flare on a tornado aircraft. You've seen on the news how the, the aircraft flies into combat and fires out flares to distract heat-seeking missiles. Yeah. It's like a game of chess. Um, the flare man makes one move and the missile designer makes another. And it's just an elaborate game of chess all the way through. And we had to come up with the latest defeat mechanism for the latest item in the um, 
the enemy's game of chess. And we had six months to do it from a blank sheet of paper right the way through to onto the aircraft in six months. And we did it. And we did it because we were a good team. Um, we did it because experts were trusted. We had a good systems engineer in, in charge. Uh, good football team, good cricket team, good rugby team. It's just made up of the right people that gel and you all do your bit. There were some real highs in there, some real periods of activity. And absolute killer pauses when you're waiting for results and you can't move on to the next stage until the results are in. Come on, let me know. All that sort of stuff. I got to work in Toulouse for most of that six months. Um, met some real interesting people over there. I'm working with a firm who makes rocket motors who are in the US. So it was international as well. as It was a real challenge of a job, but a really worthwhile one. And there was also, um, I got the chance to go and do some uh, smokescreen trials in Florida. That was five weeks in Florida. But um, well, I won't go into too much detail of why I enjoyed that one. But there was a hell of a lot of play and uh, not too much hard work on that one. But, okay, the, the idea is that it is all about teamwork. Um, the best jobs I've done have been um, working with very skilled people from di different disciplines. And it, it's enjoyable stuff. It seems like a hard discipline to get into because you can't really start it at school and you can't really do it at home. So what would you recommend for students uh, interested in getting into it? I, I love that question. What do you recommend for students interested in pyrotechnics and rocketry at home? Uh, so I, I did a little bit of pre-work, a little bit of pre-script sort of to myself as to what I was going to say, which I haven't stuck to at all. Typical day. But don't do it at home. That's the most important thing. You know, just do not. When we make stuff, um, when we make pyros, when we you know, make rockets, etc., in the factories, we're guarded against static, we're guarded against impact, guarded against friction. The, the buildings are specially constructed, they're, they're hard walled with, with a relief panel so that if anything goes off, it escapes. There's mounds to protect fragments flying everywhere. And a lot of the work nowadays is done robotically, done remotely. And we don't get these anywhere near it. If you're interested in the topic, you can't start playing with it until you're over 18 anyway, legally. Chemistry, maths, physics, all the science is really important to you. I'm going to sound really boring, but do your science, do your studies in school and follow it that way. There are a plethora of um, very interesting lectures on YouTube, if you look at the Royal Institution lectures, that give you a background to it. But, yeah, as you say, it's a difficult thing to pick up in school. I was lucky, I guess. So you wouldn't suggest um, running a sort of rocket club at school or at home, certainly, in model rockets, sugar rockets, black powder rockets, that sort of thing, small scale? No. I've had one or two friends who were in the sick form at school, especially um, the weed killer chlorate sugar mixes. Very unpredictable things. There's two stages to that chemistry. One stage is very gentle when, when you've got the early combustion that just goes to carbon monoxide. But as soon as you get the stoichiometry up, so you're, you're going to full oxidation, you're going to carbon dioxide route, the full oxidation route, they can be very unpredictable. Very high pressure, short period of time. Were you ever unfortunate enough to have to experience a, like an accident or a large explosion during your line of work? Would it, would it be dangerous? 
the key word is hazardous <laughs> rather than dangerous. I have had to, unfortunately, investigate incidents where people have got hurt quite badly. There have been fatalities in the industry. Um, recently, there was a, a big explosion at Ainge Wessex, Cameron countermeasures up, up the hill at Salisbury. In my own ROF Chorley, um, a lady was killed making initiator compositions. Again, it's down to making sure that people have the right, and I'll go back to behaviours especially. If you can keep the party clean, if you can make sure you work scrupulously clean, don't have more than you need open in front of you, uh, make sure explosives are covered when you're working. The analogy I draw, it's a bit like cooking. Um, you'd never go and make a curry just after somebody had drilled three holes in the wall and left all the brick dust all over the top. You know, they get the grit in the teeth. It's, it's not nice. A similar sort of thing with explosives. You know, keep the party clean. Clean up after yourself if there's a spill. A lot of the accidents in industry come back to people not tidying up, people not cleaning up after themselves. And that was one of the lessons that was brought home to me at a very, very early age when we entered the research establishment down in Kent. The laboratories were run by four ladies, four very fierce ladies, who kept those shops scrupulously clean. And we went in as young graduates, thought we knew everything, made a bit of a mess, left stuff on the bench when we shouldn't. And we were then told to work as not as graduates, but as industrials on the shop floor to learn good habits and to learn how to put stuff away so that we, we kept the kept the place clean in the future. And what the other thing they did for us was to do live firing demonstrations where they show propellant burning, they show pyrotechnic burning, high explosive burning. Now that might sound a bit strange, but if you set fire to TNT, it just burns. You have to put a shockwave through it before you get the detonation effect and uh, supersonic shockwaves and stuff flying everywhere. But if you don't know, if you've never experienced it, you, you don't know the dangers of the material you're handling. So that sort of demonstration, look, lads, behave yourself or else this will happen. Do you have any advice for pupils currently in school looking about studying pyrotechnic engineering or chemical engineering or systems engineering? Get involved in systems engineering as early as you can. It's the way ahead. It seriously is. Systems engineering, one of the things that they talk about is, is all about functionality. What do things do? If you understand what things do, you can understand the design choices that you've got. If you're a poor student, getting money out of dad is my favourite story. I had to leave my digs in Manchester, walk down the road. I got in this strange red box. With, with windows and walked in and there was this black thing and you picked it up and you had to dial a number. Yeah. And down the other end was father. And if, if, if he didn't tell me to clear off because he knew I wasn't buying textbooks with it, I was obviously spending my money on something far more interesting that a piece of paper would arrive courtesy of the post office three days later. And then if I was good, I could take that to the bank and three days later, the check would clear and I'd get the money. Uh, if if you were to tell either me or my father that, you know, now when my, my son's in university, mobile phone out, there's your money. Now, if you think about all the technology that goes together to make that mobile phone work, somebody had a wild and wacky idea back in the past. So 
advice to systems engineers think about how we achieve things don't be afraid of having wild and wacky ideas because sooner or later the technology is going to come around that enables all that to gel together the clever people are the people that see that coming together and make money out of it so I think from that, that there are two main things that I've learned from that interview. Uh, number one, that engineering is essential in translating between an invention and actual manufacturing. And the systems engineer is key to thinking through all those potential problems before they happen in real life. And the second thing is that we are absolutely not setting up a rocketry society at school. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave, for coming and being interviewed. It was really interesting. Thank you. OK, cool. And thank you, Ricky. Really good questions. Well done. Thanks, Ricky. So You Want to Be an Engineer is produced by Katie Douglas and edited by Arthur Jenkins. It is a production of the St. Paul School Engineering Society. If you would like to be on the show or would like to know more about Engineering Society, then you can email us on engineering at stpaulschool.org.uk. Listener.